0: when I was 15 years old I went to Lancaster Mennonite High School as a dorm student. So I got to the dorm and I was assigned a room with a a roommate. My roommate was as different from me as I think two people can about be. Uh, I was from a rural uh, area and, and lived in the country and my roommate was from intercity Baltimore. His father was a policeman. And well, we were different in many other ways. And it was an interesting semester that we spent together being, being roommates. Uh, for me, uh, in the morning, as uh, dorm students, uh, all the dorm students had an early morning class before chapel when the day students came. So the schedule for our morning was uh, we had breakfast, and then an early morning class, and then chapel, and then went into the day's activities. Well, I'm not, a, I'm not good in the morning. I don't do mornings very well, and so it takes me a while to, you know, i got to ease into the day, and then things get better, and maybe after lunch I'm hitting my stride. So, um, but my roommate was, he was completely opposite, uh, and We had a bunk bed, I was on the bottom bunk, he was on the top bunk. And he is the only person that I have ever met in my life who woke up singing. And every morning, before he ever got out of bed, he was already singing. And he was the first person in the whole dorm to get up. He was the earliest riser in the whole dorm out of those 50 guys. He was the first one out of bed. And so the first thing that would happen every morning was his alarm would go off and he'd start singing and he'd jump out of bed and he 'd hit the wood floor right beside my bed, right beside my head, he'd shut off his alarm, he'd get his towel, he'd head down to the shower, he would sing all the way down to the shower the whole time he was taking a shower all the way back and get dressed, and then he'd head up for breakfast and I could finally go back to sleep because for me getting a slow start in the morning was way more important than food and so breakfast was no issue and and you know, then I'd get up just in time to, to get to early morning class. And the other problem was, he sang the same song every morning. And he only knew one phrase of the song. And, he, and so every morning, he would get up singing, Born Free, as free as the wind blows. And, that, and he'd just sing that over and over again. All the, and it just drove me crazy. And we had, we had some interesting experiences in, uh, in that semester in school. But I learned a lot from him. And you know. We survived that semester together, and we were friends. We were both there through the whole four years of high school, and we were friends throughout the four years of high school, but we never roomed together again. We, we were just better friends if we had a little more space, and, and, and it worked. But you see, th- there are people in the world We learn pretty quickly in life that not everybody's the same. And there are people with different ways of doing life, different ways of, uh, of thinking, different ways of expressing themselves, and that makes life interesting. It also makes it challenging. So wherever there are people, there are challenges in relationships. And we, we know that it doesn't matter whether you're at work or whether you're at church or whether it's at school, wherever you are in families, there are challenges in relationships. My daughter, my foster daughter, was working a job a few months ago and she was saying to me, you know, dad, like, I, I just don't know, I, I, I'm just, you know, those ladies, uh, she was doing housekeeping at a motel, and she was saying, you know, those ladies, like, if I'm working with one lady, they talk bad about the other ladies that are on the housekeeping crew, and then when I'm working with one of the other ladies, then she talks bad about, and so she was saying, you know, and she was saying I'm sure when, when they're working together, and I'm not there, they're talking bad about me, and it's, yeah, they probably are, and I was saying, you know what, if you go work somewhere else, the, the work, the people there, they're, they're just people. That's how they live, and that's what they do, and, they, and, and it's just part of the way some people, the way they live their lives, and they make themselves unhappy by complaining about other people, and, and it's just part of, of learning to know how to deal with it, and you just have to say, hey, I'm doing the best I can, and if they complain about me, that's up to them. But wherever we are, there are challenges. So having relationship challenges is not an indication of spiritual immaturity because it just happens Um, to all of us. However, if we go through life and we don't resolve conflicts and we don't resolve interpersonal relationships, that is a sign of spiritual immaturity. And so one of the skills that we develop in life is just knowing that conflict is going to come. We're going to have conflicts with other people and that we can survive that and that they can be resolved and that we can even get along with people who are different than what we are ourselves. We live in a world that's filled with uh, with relationship challenges. Divorces are an indication in our society of conflicts that go unresolved. We have wars and ethnic conflicts all around the world that are the result of unresolved uh, conflicts. 85% of employee turnover, one study showed that 85% of employee turnover is due to relationship problems on the job. And in mission organizations, almost all the First-term missionaries who leave the field early, uh, before their first term is finished, do so because of relationship challenges with uh, other missionaries. So it's important that we learn how to deal with relationship issues. And this isn't new; it's something that was around. You know, the human race was only really in its second generation when relationship problems went to the extreme when where murder was committed. It didn't take very long for humanity. To get to the point where relationship problems were very, very serious and had serious consequences. I'd like to look tonight at the book of Genesis, chapter starting in chapter 25. There are two brothers, uh, Jacob and Esau, that had relationship challenges through most of their lives. And we'd just like to use uh, this passage as sort of a, a framework to talk about some of the relationship challenges uh, we have in life, you look at Genesis chapter 25, um, uh, uh, verses, uh, well, even, even these boys were even, there was conflicts even before they were born, and, and um, uh, uh, Rebecca had questions about it, uh, what was going on in her womb before the children were born, and then they're born. And in verses 27 and 28, it talks about the differences between these two boys. It says, and the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field, and Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison, but Jacob, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So you have two boys, two young men who are, are very, very different. And we know that we're not all the same. God created us with variety and with differences. We have different personalities. We have different gifts. Uh, and 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and Ephesians chapter 4 describe some of the variety and gifts that exist within the body of Christ. And the reassuring thing in Ephesians chapter 4, is that it tells us that the purpose of that is not to frustrate us, but it's so that the body is complete and that the work of the ministry is done in a well-rounded, holistic way. And so none of us have all of the gifts, and so none of us are adequate to really carry on the ministry of Christ or of the church by ourselves. We need each other, and it's in the interconnection as uh, with different giftings and different skills and abilities that the complete work of the church is able to be to be done. First Corinthians chapter 12 the apostle Paul uses the example of the body to illustrate the importance of the different gifts and he he gives us the absurd word picture of if the whole eye, if the whole body were an eye where would the hearing be? And you think about that if your body if you were just one big eyeball Uh, what would that be like? It would be kind of painful getting around if you were rolling down the sidewalk and and it would be hard to function the way you do if if your whole body was just an eye. But as your body works together, um, you can live and you can function as a person because you have different members of your body and they work together in order to accomplish what you uh, want to do. And so it is in relationships and in the body of Christ. We complement one another And we work together in order to accomplish the things that that God has given us to do. And so we benefit from those that are different. And I will confess to you that there are times when I have been in relationships with people that I wondered what benefit they were. And I wondered kind of what do they really contribute. But the fact of the matter is, every person contributes something. None of us have all of the gifts, but neither neither is there anyone who has no gift. Everyone has some gift that is useful to the body of Christ. And so there is no one that we can look at in the church. There's nobody that we can look at in the body of Christ and say that person is not needed. We don't, they don't have anything that's of use to Christ or to the church. Every person has a role to, uh, to fill. Well, much of our problem comes in relationships from when we want what we have plus what other people have. And that was the problem that Jacob and Esau had uh, in verse 30. You have, uh, well, Jacob was, in verse 29, Jacob was uh, cooking soup, and Esau goes out to the field, he comes in, he's hungry, and he looks at uh, the soup that Jacob had, and Esau wanted the soup. He wasn't content with what he had. He also wanted what Jacob had, and he wanted it so much that he was willing to despise the valuable thing that he had in order to gain what Jacob had. So to him, in his logic at that moment, He had the birthright. Jacob wanted the birthright. Poor Jacob. They're twins. And uh, Jacob, probably up to this point in life, had gone through life thinking, what? I really got a raw deal here. I was born 20 minutes too late. If I'd have been born 20 minutes earlier, I'd have the birthright. I'd get my father's blessing. That's what I really want. It's all just because of 20 minutes, and and I missed it. And Esau's got all that, and he doesn't appreciate it anyway. And so why can't I have it? And so here's Jacob. Jacob wants the birthright. Esau wants the stew. And so they work out a trade. And they, Esau thinks about it. He says, well, what good is the birthright to me if I starve to death? So sure, you can have the birthright. Give me the soup. Many of our problems in life come when, when we want something so badly that we're willing to give up the valuable things that we already have to try and get what somebody else has that we really want. One of the greatest causes of interpersonal relationships is not being content with who we are and what we have. The book of James chapter 4, verses 1-3 to 3, tells us uh, where do fightings and wars come from? Well, they come from within your own lust. You want something and you want it so badly that you would kill to get it But you don't get it because you don't ask, and even when you ask, you ask with the wrong motives, and so you still don't get it because you're not asking with the right motives. So we have to recognize that when there are challenges in relationships, some of that comes from within our own heart. Some of that comes from within our own misguided desires to have something that we don't have. We think somebody else has it or somebody else is keeping us from getting what we want, and we determine that it's it's worth hurting somebody to get what we want. Because we want it so badly. We think that if we could just have that thing, that somehow then we'd be happy. And then that would really solve our problem. Or if the other person just wouldn't have it, then it would be okay. So you look at Jacob and Esau, they traded. And Jacob now has the birthright, Esau has the soup. They both had what they wanted. Were they happier? No, it didn't solve the problem. As a matter of fact, the problems got worse. And and it became even more. Their relationship became even more troubled, even though they now had uh, what they wanted. So we have to recognize that getting what we want wouldn't necessarily solve the um, the problem. And we need to recognize as well that unresolved relationship problems are sin. We look at the list of sins in Galatians uh, chapter five, verses twenty and twenty-one. Uh, we have a whole list of things, and, and the Bible tells us that the people who do these things aren't going to enter the kingdom of heaven. We look at that list, and we're pretty good with the beginning of the list. We, we look at that passage, and we look at, at the, um, the things that are, are, are described there, and we look at, at, at murder and, and, and drunkenness and those kinds of things, and we're like, well, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that's really serious, um, um, Yeah, anybody that does that. Uh, we're not gonna, you know, that's not gonna work, and, and you're not gonna be in the kingdom of heaven doing that kind of stuff, and and we're um, we're pretty good at that, and, and idolatry and witchcraft, uh, fornication, unclean, all those things. Where yeah, that's definitely that's definitely off limits. We get to the end, murders, drunkenness, revelings. Yeah, that's that's good, but the middle of the list uh, should cause us to be a little uh, a little troubled, a little bit uh, uneasy, because when you look at the middle of that list, hatred. Or variants which could be translated discord or emulations, which could be jealousy, wrath, strife or selfish ambitions, seditions or dissensions, heresy could be translated as factions, uh, envyings well, that comes a little closer home uh, we're not quite as free from those things as we are of, of drunkenness and murders and and uh, violence as a matter of fact, if we would look at our our Conservative Mennonite churches, uh, we would say some of those things in the middle of the list are maybe even a little bit descriptive of us and, and the way things work. And, and we tend to have our dissensions and our factions and, and, and our, our jealousies and those kinds of things going on. And yet they're all in the same list. Uh, the, the, the scripture doesn't separate it out and say, okay, these are the big ones and these are the small ones and maybe it's okay if you do these a little bit and, but don't do these at all. We have to recognize that sin is sin. And if we're going to go on through life with unresolved conflicts and ongoing feuds, there's a problem there. And it's something that needs to be dealt with. It's something that we need to deal with and resolve. And we can't go on saying that we're serving Christ and we're really committed to him and then live with, with hatred toward our brother in, first, in the epistles of, of, of John. He tells us, if, if you say you, you love God and you hate your brother, you're lying. You can't do that. Uh, and Jesus told his disciples, the way the world is going to know that you're my disciples is if you love one another. And one of the things that should be characteristic of the church is that even though we're diverse, even though we are different in personality, we're different in giftings, there's, there's diversity in the way we, we, um, we see life and interact with people, that somehow in spite of that, we are able to resolve our conflicts and we're able to love one another well and we're able to care for one another in spite of our differences because that is uncharacteristic of the way people function in the world. And you look at society around us and you see all the divisions and all of the animosity that's in society. And the church ought to stand in stark contrast to that as a group of people who know how to get along with each other and who know how to love each other and how to do it well. And so it's important that we deal with relationship challenges. And where we ought to learn that is in our families as children. And we as moms and dads ought to be helping our children to learn how to resolve conflicts How to deal with when things don't go your way and you don't get what you want, how do you talk through those things and resolve it? Now, uh, I uh, uh, grew up in a a home where where my dad's uh, uh, approach was just keep the surface really calm. We don't want any conflict here. We don't want any, you know, don't get too excited or don't get too depressed. You just, let's just keep everything on a pretty flat line. So he suppressed uh, conflicts and, and anything too, too out of the ordinary. So, so I, never, I didn't really get trained too well in dialoguing and talking through issues and problems, except he, he was really good at doing that at work and doing that with his employees. Uh, but at home, it was, it, we just didn't do that that much. So when I got married, uh, my deal was uh, when, when, my, when our children started fighting my my thing was kind of the edict from the recliner. Quit that. I don't want to hear any more of that. Well, what did that do? It, put, it pushed the conflict under the surface. So now it's real quiet, but they're pinching each other, and you know it just goes under the surface, and, and uh, it's quiet, which made me happy, but it, it didn't resolve the issues. Well, my wife, being a wise woman, she said to me one day, you know, we're all that's not, that's not right. Like, that's not the way to deal with, with conflict. And uh, she was saying, w- would you do that at the office? Like, if you had two staff that were having conflicts, would you just walk into their office and say, all right, cut that out. I don't want to hear any more conflict between you guys. That's, that's it. No more conflicts. Just, just shut it off right there. And I said, No, I wouldn't do that. She said, what would you do? I said, well, I'd go in, and I'd talk to them and I'd say, well, what's going on here and what's happening and why is there conflict? And who said what, and we'd you know, kind of work through it and resolve it. And she was saying, well, your children need you to do that with them. And so I had to learn to get out of the recliner and get down on the floor and say, all right, what's going on? Well, she hit me. Why did you hit him? Well, because he said he took what I wanted. Well, why did you do that? Because she did. And sometimes you wind up yesterday afternoon, and, and then, but then eventually you get, to, you get to the root where it all started, and then you can resolve it, and you can talk about it, and you can work it out, and then it, then it goes away. And then the conflict is resolved, and then they can play together, and they can do stuff together, and, it, and it's, the air is cleared. And that's a skill that we ought to be helping our children to develop. Because it's a very valuable skill in life to know that I can express my frustration, and I can voice that, and, and we, can, we can talk about things and dialogue, and we can work things out. And it was a skill that, that, uh, that I needed to learn And so I just encourage you to help your children to learn how to resolve conflicts because those skills then transfer not only into the workplace but also into the church and we're able to work together and love one another as we ought. Let's talk about some of the results of interpersonal relationship problems. What happens when we have uh, unresolved interpersonal relationship problems? First of all, we experience God's displeasure. God is not pleased. When we, as his children, are fighting, as a dad, I don't like when my children fight, and I'm sure God doesn't enjoy it very much when He sees us fighting and not getting along with one another. Secondly, we have our own personal dissatisfaction. It just doesn't feel good to be in conflict. It just doesn't feel good to not to have somebody that you're not getting along with, that you're not um, um, uh, that the relationship just isn't working. And all of us have people that are challenges for us to get along with. There are personality types and there are just types of people that it's difficult for us to to, to appreciate and, and, and they, they kind of rub us, they irritate us and they rub us the wrong way. The startling realization for us is that while we have maybe one or two people that are like that for us, probably each of us is that irritating person for somebody else. And that's, that's, kind, of an, a, that's kind of a hard pill to swallow because... We all look at ourselves and say, well, I'm a pretty good person. I mean, I'm pretty normal. And I, how, can I be, how can I be an irritating person? How can I be somebody's problem person? And yet, in fact, probably each of us is difficult for somebody to get along with. And there are people who find us hard to, to, uh, to relate to. Then there's anger. And anger is an isolating emotion. Uh, anger separates us from people. And it causes us to withdraw and isolate ourselves and it causes other people to, to stay away from us and it, it, um, it brings um, basically results in loneliness where we, uh, we wind up more and more isolated from people and we live with uh, constant tension and stress uh, in our lives. Well, the other thing that happens is that basically scripture teaches us that uh, what you sow you also reap and God has a way of bringing around to us The kind of things and the principle is the golden rule you treat others as you would want them to treat you and things have a way of coming around and and we tend to get paid back in kind we get repayment in kind in the way we treat people in the way that we relate to uh, to people so when you get over to chapter 29 in Genesis you have uh, well you have later on there where where Jacob stole not only the I mean he didn't only get the birthright but he also stole the blessing and things became so bad between he and Esau that Jacob had to leave and Rebekah sent him down to her brother Laban. Jacob gets down to Laban's house and he is really uh, falls in love with Rachel and he says uh, to Laban, You know, what would I have to do to give you as a, what would I could I give you as a dowry for, for Rachel? And Laban says, Well, work for me seven years and, and I'll give you Rachel as your wife. Well, he did that. It just seemed like a few days to him. It didn't take long at all. Seven years were over. He said, All right, the seven years are up. Give me my wife. Let's have the wedding. They had the wedding. The next morning, Jacob wakes up and he finds out he's not married to Rachel at all, but he's married to her sister Leah. And he was not impressed and he wasn't pleased. And he went back to Laban and said, what's going on? Like, what did you do to me? And Laban says something very, very interesting. Laban says to Jacob, it's not the custom in our country to give the younger daughter before the older daughter. So where did that come from? He knew what Jacob had done. And basically what he was saying to Jacob was, hey buddy, I know what you did back home and we don't do it that way here. It doesn't work that way here. You honor the rights of the firstborn here. And so you didn't do that at home, but you're doing it here. And you, you got the rights of the firstborn. You got the blessing by deception in your own home. But you know what? Laban was better at deception than Jacob was. And so Laban, Laban used Jacob's own... Uh, uh, um, practices his own what Jacob used to get what he wanted Laban used exactly the same thing on him to get him to honor the rights of the firstborn when he was in Laban's household and you know what God has people you may have ways of manipulating your life to get what you want and to get people to do what you want but you know what God has somebody somewhere who's better at what you do than what you are and God has ways of getting those people into your life and teaching you what it feels like to be treated the way you treat other people and so some of those things just come around to us and we may, we may be pretty successful at manipulating relationships and doing stuff, but eventually it comes back to us and God just brings us into contact with somebody who can do it better than we can and we wind up finding out what it's like and it doesn't feel very good when that happens. So what do we do then? Well, uh, we have when there are tensions and difficulties, we have... We have um, choices as to how we deal with it and one of the things that can happen to us if we're not careful is that we can begin to internalize some of our feelings that come up in relationships and we can develop bitterness or a grudge and we can carry bitterness in our heart toward another person and especially if it's somebody that we're uh, in contact with over a long period of time we can begin to have a bad attitude toward them, and we can begin to build up a negative case about them, and we can start to stack incident on incident to prove our case. Many times when we do that, we're doing that based on assumptions. We're saying, I think that person said that because they think this. Many times when I have sat down with people to talk about Relationship challenges they're having. When I talk to somebody about, you know, what's happening and why are you having conflict with this person? They'll say, Well, this person did that, and when they did that, what they were trying to tell me was or they their intentions were and we're making assumptions about people's motives. The truth of the matter is we don't know what other people's motives are. And many times conflict can be cleared up if we will just let people explain what their motives were. And we will accept their motives at face value and say, you know what, that's right. I, I, I trust that, the, that, that that was your motive. I was in an uh, administrative team uh, one time with two other men, and, and, and we would have uh, meetings on a monthly basis. They were two-day meetings. And, and I had planned a ministry project. I don't even remember now what it was, but I know that it failed. And it failed in a big way. It wasn't uh, small, it was a public failure. Everybody knew it failed, and we had been planning it for a number of months. And when we actually did it, uh, it didn't work, and, and so it, it, was, and it was obvious, I knew, I, knew it I knew it didn't work, everybody else knew it didn't work, and I knew why it didn't work, and so we got to our next administrative meeting, and these other two men I was on the administrative team with, they started telling me that, um, you know, they saw that that didn't work, and that didn't work out, and they told me also why it didn't work, and, and, and what I had done that could have contributed to why it didn't work, and I, I, was, I was really upset. I kind of felt like, man, like, kick me when I'm down, you know. Why don't you, you know I mean, I, I could use a little encouragement now. I don't need people telling me stuff didn't work. I know that already, and I'm, furthermore, I don't need to know why it didn't work. I know that too, so you don't really have to tell me that. And and I just, boy, my head went down, and I just felt worse and worse, and, 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 and finally I went home, and the meeting was over. I went home, and I told my wife, man, I can't believe it. Like, those guys, they just... <laughs> They just beat me up. I mean, I, I, I know that, was, that didn't work. I know it was a failure, and when I could have used some encouragement, they just piled on. They just kicked me when I was down, and I just, don't, man, I just don't even know what to do with that. And she said, I don't That doesn't sound right. She said, I don't think, I don't think that's what they were trying to do at all. She said, I don't That doesn't sound right. And I said, well, uh, that, yeah, I'm sure that's what they were doing. And she said, I don't believe it. And she said, I don't, think it's, I don't think that's what was happening. I think you misunderstood what was happening. And I said, I don't think so. And she said, well, I think you should go back tomorrow, and I think you should tell them what you thought and how that felt to you and ask them what they were trying to say. I said, I don't have to go back and ask them what they were trying to say. I know what they were trying to say, and I'm not going back for round two, so round one was painful enough, and i am not going to go back and ask them to tell me again and act like I didn't understand it. I understood it, and, uh, and I'm not, I'm not, I don't have to listen to it the second time. And she said, I don't think you did understand it and something's wrong. And I'm just telling you, I think you should go back and ask them why, what, what, they, what they were trying to say. So I knew she was a wise woman. And so I went back the next day and I said, you know, yesterday when you guys were talking about this thing that failed, I felt like you were kind of kicking me when I was down. I felt really bad. And I felt like you were attacking me and it just didn't feel very good. And I'm just wondering, like, what were you, what were you trying to do? What were your, what were you, what were your, what were your motives there? And they said, oh, no, no, we weren't trying to do that. Uh, we just knew that it failed, and that must feel really bad, and we've had failures too, and we just wanted you to know we f- know what that feels like, and we were trying to empathize with you and, and your failure and what you went through. And, and, well, I had to admit that that's probably what they were trying to do. It felt to me like a weird way of doing it, but honestly, that's, that probably was, that was their motive. But you see, I had a choice to make then at that moment. Am I going to say, oh, no? You're just saying that now because I'm saying my feelings were hurt. Or I can say, you know what? That really was their motive. And they did not have, they were not trying to hurt me. They just, they really were trying to empathize. But you see, so the decision I make at that moment is going to make a big difference in how I relate to them next week and the week after that and other things that come up. So if I say, you know what, now they're lying to me. They, they really did want to hurt me. The next time they say something, well, there they go again. And then I start to build a case. Or if I can say, you know what, their motives were right. Uh, I misunderstood what their motives were. The next time something comes up that feels a little uncertain to me, I can say, you know what, I misjudged their motives the last time. I'm probably misunderstanding what they're saying now. And so it can make a big difference in where the relationship goes over the next six months, depending on this, the assumption I make about their motives. And so I just think a lot of times things can be cleared up if we clarify motives, if we start to build a grudge, a grudge eats away at your soul. A grudge saps your physical strength. A grudge takes energy to keep it going. It occupies your mind. So then you have a grudge against somebody. You feel you have negative feelings toward them. You're you're kind of upset with them. Uh, so then you get into a situation where you're doing something where you don't have to think about anything else. You're taking a shower. You're driving. And your mind starts running. And where does it go? It goes to those negative things. And you start running over conversations. And you start running over imaginary conversations that you could have maybe someday. And the problem with those imaginary conversations is you always come out looking really good because you, you're, you're orchestrating both sides of the conversation. So you can, always, you can always make those conversations turn out really good. But it feels really good just to roll that stuff over and over in your mind and think of what you could say and, what, and, how, you know, and just how you're really going to tell them and all that and then what they'll say and how you'll win the argument and everything's going to turn out in your favor and all that. But that, that, there's a lot of negative energy that goes into to fueling a grudge. A grudge is kind of like the pilot light on a gas stove. It's, all, it, it's not very big, but it's always burning. And it's constantly taking energy. And, and it takes energy just to keep it going. So that's why if you have a grudge against somebody or somebody has a grudge against you, then there's a little incident that happens. And all of a sudden, there's a big there's a big blow up and a big flare up. And you say, wow, what was that about? Where did that come from? This was just a little thing. And, and now there's a big... And well, where that came from is you're, the person isn't reacting or you're not reacting to what happened at the moment. You're reacting to the last five years of stuff that, that you're carrying around with you that you haven't resolved. And all of a sudden, that comes bursting to the surface and and so there's this huge reaction that is way out of proportion to what just happened because you're not reacting to what just happened. You're reacting to the whole history of the relationship and it gets, a, it gets to be a huge deal. And you can't even resolve it because you're not even, you're, you may be talking about what just happened, but actually the real issue is back there five years ago and you haven't, you're not even dealing with that. Now you're dealing with what happened today and you can solve that and you still didn't resolve the, the whole problem because you still have that grudge you're carrying with you about all the other stuff that happened and that hasn't been taken care of. Now often when we think about relationship challenges, we think about people that are problems to us, we think our focus is, if they would just stop doing what they're doing, if they would just stop doing that, then we could get along. And so our focus is, they have to change their behavior. And if I can just get them to start doing what I want them to do, if I can just stop them from doing the things that frustrate me, then this relationship is going to work. And our focus is often on behavior, and it's often on the other person's behavior, The problem is, we can't change other people's behavior. You can't can't change the way another person behaves. You you, you can't do that, that's not your job. You can only change yourself. And I would like to suggest to you that many times, when we're in relationship challenges, the, the solution is not changing the other person's behavior, the solution is changing the way we feel about the other person in our heart, outside of their behavior. So think about it this way. Think with me here for a minute. Let's say that you go to your friend's house, somebody you really like, and you go there for lunch, and you just enjoy being with them, and they're really a good friend, and you get there for lunch, and you're sitting at the table. They tell you where to sit, and so you sit at the table, and just as your friend comes to the table to serve soup, a bowl of hot tomato soup, just as she gets to the table, she trips and spills the bowl of hot tomato soup in your lap what are you going to do? You're going to say, no problem, that's fine, hey, it wasn't that hot, it didn't burn that much, no, I'm fine, I'm okay, and hey, it's just tomato, I'm sure it'll wash out, and, and if it doesn't, no, I didn't like these clothing anyway, they're about worn out, and and so I, I, I really was kind of looking for excuse to get rid of them anyway, so no problem, because immediate, you're, immediately you're thinking, you minimize it, because you're, you're thinking about, boy, if I did that to her, I know how I'd feel, and so you're, you're trying to, to, to uh, empathize with how she's feeling and you're, you're minimizing the whole thing and, and you're making her feel like it's no problem, you're okay, everything's all right, uh, because you're, you're thinking about her and about what, what she's going through. You're not thinking about yourself, you're thinking about her and how embarrassing that must be. You don't sit there at the table and say, huh, I thought she was my friend, she hates me, she was... I bet she planned that. I bet this afternoon she just she told me where to sit, so she sat me there. And I bet this afternoon she came with that bowl with a bowl and just kind of practiced, you know, tested out this thing how it was going to go. And yeah, if I trip right here, that should do it. And and she, you know she hates me, and and I can't have friends like this. I'm never coming to this person's house again to eat. That's just I can't have friends like this. This is terrible. I, this friendship's over. And I just absolutely you don't. You don't think that, you don't even, the thought never crosses your mind that that person did it intentionally or that they had some sinister motive in doing it because you like the person. But now let's say that you go to a person's house for lunch that you don't really like very much and they kind of irritate you and you're sitting across the table from them just the way they hold their fork can drive you crazy. And so now think about the difference between those two things. One person can pour a bowl of hot tomato soup in your lap and you're like, no problem, that's fine. Yeah, yeah that's sweet. That's the relationship doesn't suffer at all. The other person just holds their fork a little weird and you're kind of like, man, I just can't stand this. I don't want to be with this person. There's no comparison between the magnitude of those two behaviors. What makes the difference is the way you felt about the person in your heart before you ever went there for lunch. And so the, I would suggest to you that the real issue is how we feel about people in our hearts. And if we can ask God to help us to change the way we feel about people in our hearts, their behavior doesn't have to change that much and we can be okay with it because we can change our our hearts toward them and the way we feel about them. Now, there are times when behaviors are problematic and there need to be boundaries and we need to say... That, that bothers me, and that's a problem. And I'm not saying that you just cover over everything that happens and that you minimize uh, anything that happens in a, a close relationship and that you just allow any, anything can go. There there are places where we need boundaries, and we need to express how we feel, and we need to talk about things that are happening in the relationship. We need to raise issues, uh, and and we need to dialogue about and talk about them. So don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But I am saying that oftentimes the problem could be solved with the, problem, the solution of the problem isn't so much a change in the behavior of the other person as it is a change in our own heart toward that person. I was uh, doing weekend meetings at a church one time and was uh, staying with my cousin and her husband. And it's a cousin that I don't see very often, don't get to spend very much time with. And so I was just excited about being in their home and, and being with them and and um, um, I was uh, going other places for meals throughout the weekend. And Sunday evening, I was finally at their house for, for supper. And so well, I was just really looking forward to this. We're going to have a great time together. And so my cousin uh, sir, started serving the dinner. And she put this soup on the table. And she said, Merle, I don't know if you can eat this soup. I, 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 I was, I'm just not sure. So taste it. But if you can't eat it, it's OK. She said, I was making the soup. And the salt shaker fell off the shelf above the stove and fell down. And the lid came off. And all the soup. I mean, all the salt went into the soup. So she said, I tried to spoon it out, but I'm afraid it's still too salty. Uh, I've eaten lots of stuff in my life, and I don't really care. Like, I'm just glad to be at your house. I can eat salty soup. It's no problem, and so... We ate the soup, and it was really salty. I don't think her husband ate much, but it was um, it was okay. We ate the soup. And then she had this jello salad, and, um, and it was on, like, a little salad plate. And, and she said, I feel really bad. She said, this dinner, nothing turned out right. She said, I, this salad, like, it's supposed to stand up in little squares, and when I got it out of the mold it, it didn't stand up. It just kind of on the plate. And, and she was saying, I feel really embarrassed about it. And I said, hey, I'm a man. I don't know if food's supposed to stand up or lay down. Like, it's just... It, it, I mean, I, I eat it, and it. If it tastes good, I don't, care. I, don't, I don't care if it stands up before I eat a jello. You're never quite sure if it's dead anyway. So, uh, you know, I'm fine with that. And so we ate the jello. And, and then she said, I don't know everything just went wrong. She said, We're going to salvage this meal. So she said, I made pie and I think that's okay. But she said, I'm going to serve you ice cream with the pie so at least, you know, something's good. So she got the ice cream out of the freezer and then she was going to dish some ice cream, and she said, you know, re- this ice cream is really, really hard. And so she said to her husband, hey, how about dishing Merle some ice cream? So he's there with the ice cream scoop, and he's just really, you know, really getting, pushing on the ice cream. And all of a sudden, a chunk of ice cream broke loose and came over and hit me in the chest and fell in my lap. And great. I right? was perfect. And it, it, was a, it was a wonderful meal. And, and you know, I, I still remember it. It's, and I, if it would, everything would have went right, I'd probably forgotten about it. But it was great. And and it was none of those things were a problem because I really I was just enjoying being with them. And you know that's how it goes in, in life. If you really enjoy people, there are a lot of things can go wrong. And it's just not a problem. And so what I'm saying is, your heart attitude is what really makes uh, the difference. Anger often separates those who ought to be friends and brothers. You think about Jacob and Esau, they spent years, decades apart because of the anger that was in their relationship they missed the opportunity of living side by side as brothers and being a blessing to each other because of the hostility that came into their relationship anger just destroys the opportunity that we have to be to ben, to be a benefit to each other and to benefit from others it drives us into isolation if you're, Now, people have different ways of handling anger. If you're not a person who explodes in anger, then your tactic is probably to avoid uh, those with whom you're angry, and we can either withdraw and be passive in anger, or we can be aggressive in anger. When uh, my wife and I first got married, um, I was quite certain that I didn't have an anger problem. I, I don't shout, I don't throw things, and so I'm just a pretty... Even killed person, and I don't really, uh, I don't, I'm not an angry person. And, but as we um, worked on our marriage relationship and and talked about things, um, my wife was quite convinced I did have an anger problem. And she was saying, Yeah, you don't shout, you don't throw things. But when I, what I do when I get angry, what I tend to do, what I did do at that time when I got angry is, Well, I just kind of go in my own corner and I just kind of withdraw and. And in doing that, I was making a powerful statement to my family. I'm angry, and I'm not going to relate to you until you do what I want you to do. And so it was. It might not have been as painful. It might not have been as, been as damaging as if I would have been shouting and throwing things. But it was still, it affected relationships in our family. It was a powerful statement. And I had to get to the point where I could admit, yeah, I'm angry. And I don't, I'm feeling pretty frustrated right now and, and and we need to talk about things. And if it's not right now, we're going to have to talk about it later. But to be able to, to recognize anger and deal with it so that things can be resolved and they don't just go on and on without, uh, without, being, uh, without being resolved. Communication, honest face-to-face communication, is the lubricant of relationships. It's just like an engine or a skillet. Without oil, things are just going to get stuck. And so it is in relationships. Without communication, we're just going to get stuck. And we, there needs to be open, honest communication and dialogue in order for things to work. The other thing that's very, very important is forgiveness. And the closer the relationship is, the more there's a need for forgiveness. Because the potential, any relationship, the 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 degree that it has potential for good is also the degree it has the potential for harm. And the only thing that keeps that relationship on the positive side, going from the really good to the really bad, is the oil of communication and the grace of forgiveness. And the truth is, all of us need forgiveness, and we need to be willing to extend forgiveness. It's just what is going to make it work. And if we're going to go through life either being so arrogant that we never want to be forgiven, or so difficult that we never want to forgive anyone, we are, it's going to be a problem. Uh, we are just going to isolate ourselves from more and more people because forgiveness is essential. We know in our relationship with God, the only basis that we have to come to God is on the basis of His mercy. That's why the lid of the uh, Ark of the Covenant was called the mercy seat. That's where God met with His people. And it had to be on the basis of mercy. That was the only way the high priest could come into his presence. And the only way we can come into the presence of God and have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us is because of God's mercy and because of his forgiveness. So when we think about that, who are we then to go out into the world and relate to our fellow human beings with an unforgiving attitude? Who are we to turn away from God's grace and his forgiveness and then be unforgiving to others. It just doesn't, it defies logic to say that I really want God's forgiveness, but I really want justice for everybody else. But that's our, that's kind of our natural tendency. We want mercy for ourselves, justice for others. Think about it. If you're driving down the highway and you're kind of in a hurry and you're going about 15 miles an hour over the speed limit and all of a sudden there's bright lights flashing behind you, what's the first thing that goes through your mind? Oh, please, I don't really need a ticket. Like, just a warning would be good, and, and you know, I hope he's really merciful. <laughs> I hope he just lets me go without, with a warning or, or just, you know, I don't get anything out of this. But let's say you're driving along, and you're doing the speed limit, and you're being really good, and you're really, you know, you, you wouldn't mind driving a little faster, but you're really disciplining yourself to just drive the speed limit. And some person comes just zooming past you, and they're going 20 miles an hour over the speed limit. Five miles down the road, you see them pulled over with the police car behind them. What goes through your mind? All right, get that guy. Yeah, nail him. And it's just the way our minds were. But when we carry that over into our relationships, and we want God to extend mercy to us, and then we want to turn around and dish out justice to everybody else, it just doesn't work that way. And that's why in the Lord's Prayer we say, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, because God just wants to remind us that we had a debt we couldn't. We were never going to be able to pay. And now for us to turn around and demand that everybody else give us what we think is due us, it's just not the way life works. We just don't get what we, what we deserve in life and we can be thankful we don't. Because if God would give us what we deserve, we'd all be in trouble. And so we're in no position to turn around and say we need to give to everybody else what they deserve. We should be dishing out mercy and grace and forgiveness and that should be characteristic of Our lives. I just encourage you to think about your relationships, to think about relationships that are challenging. Ask God to change your heart toward that person. And just ask yourself how long am I willing to live with this unresolved conflict and tension in this relationship? Wouldn't this be a good time to begin to take some steps to bring resolution to the things that have been happening in that? particular relationship that may be problematic for you. And I don't know when you think this evening about your relationships, whether that's a family relationship, whether it's a work relationship, whether it's a church relationship, wherever that is. um, I would just encourage you this evening to ask God to help you to work through some of that and to deal with those relationships in a godly way and to be able to to extend grace and forgiveness. And if you need to talk to someone and clarify things and, and you know maybe sometimes we even need help to do that sometimes we need a third person to help us to dialogue and to work through some of the issues that we face and don't be afraid to do that but I, I my, my desire for you would just be that this church would be uh, just an example in this community of a group of people who know how to love each other and how to love each other well and that the community would look at you as a church and say those people know how to do that, they know how to care for each other. There's something happening there that's beautiful. And you know, we live in a world where there are a lot of broken relationships and people, people have not experienced good relationships in their families or almost anywhere else. And I believe that one of the things that, we, that can be very attractive about us as churches is that we're a place where people are cared for, where there's actually real caring relationships that we love each other well, and that people can belong to something that's functioning and that works and that stands in stark contrast to what they experience on the job or in their family of origin or wherever they come from, and they can be drawn into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ where real love and real relationship really exists. And may God bless you as a church as you you do that. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this evening for your mercy and grace to us. We ask that you would... Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lord, help us to be gracious toward others, to extend your forgiveness to them. Lord, I pray that you would help us to come to you with the problem relationships we have and ask for your help to change our hearts toward people that are problematic for us. Lord, I don't know what relationship challenges are existing here in in the people that are in this sanctuary, but... I just pray that you would bring resolution to problems that may exist. I pray that you would uh, help us to take steps to bring resolution and to see resolution of those things. Lord, I pray that you would bless this church. I pray that you would bless them with uh, the courage and the ability to love each other well. I pray that their love for one another would be an example in this community and something that would draw people into this uh, um, church and that uh, people would um, be drawn to what they experience here in love and caring. And Lord, I just pray that you would guide us in this life to do relationships well. Help us not to ignore the challenges we face. Help us not to um, nurse grudges and carry bad feelings toward other people, but to resolve those things and, and to do it well. In Jesus' name, amen.